final study of 1 Thessalonians. So please turn to that book, 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 5 now at the conclusion of what Paul has to write to this beloved church of his that he fathered and birthed and that he's passionately spoken to and as he said, cared for them as a nurse cares for infants. And so we start now to finish this study off. And like Paul, Paul uh, typically will preach theology and doctrine, but he will always then conclude with practical application. That's what Paul is. I love, I love Paul. He's a very passionate man, a very zealous man, a man full of the Holy Spirit and power, but also a very practical man. All right? I mean, if, if you're going to believe it, you're going to walk it. Amen. If you're going to talk it, you're going to walk it. And that's biblical Christianity. All right? None of this, I believe, but don't follow what I do. I will walk what I talk. And that's what Paul is trying to commend them to. If, if you could see here, I, I, hopefully you have outlines, but uh, he says this at the end of the book in 1 Thessalonians 5.27, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. What did he mean by that? Everybody. This word's for everybody. So what he's telling them to do, everybody should be doing. Okay? This is a letter to all the Christians. Not just the Thessalonians, but in, in essence, throughout all the church ages. Uh, tell everybody, read this book and do it. Amen? Amen? All right, so let's go up to where we left off. We are now at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12. We discussed the coming of the Lord last week and what Paul had to say about it and to encourage folks that those who have already passed away before Jesus returned, don't worry about them. They will be raised in the first resurrection. And so that's an encouraging word. He said, comfort one another with all this. But now he goes and he begins to give practical application, final instructions, and he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12. He said, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Now, uh, you're supposed to give honor to whom honor is due. You should honor your leaders and show respect to them. That's what Paul's saying. But respect is earned, isn't it? And respect should be displayed. Now, just through the teaching of the Lord, we should respect authorities. Because the Lord has given authority and power so that things would be run in order. The only way that you can ever have peace is, in, is to have power. Do you understand this? Let me, let me explain that to you. The only way that you can put order into chaos is you have to have more power than the chaos. Does that make sense to you? All right? And so in order to put power in things that are out of line and everything's a mess, you have to have authority over it to bring peace. Peace is order. Shalom. Peace in Judaism isn't a tranquil um, where we empty ourselves and there's nothing going on. Peace is, as a matter of fact, order of things by authority and power. Peace is having your household in order. Then you can sit on the back porch and, and chew your bubble gum and sing songs. But get things in order, okay? And you have to, in order to do that, have to have 
authority over it. Some of you are wondering why your household is in chaos and out of order. It might be because there's no authority or power ruling over the chaos. And so that's why it says that Jesus will rule with a what? Rod of iron. He's all authority. He's all power. When he comes to earth to establish his kingdom and rule for a thousand years, he's going he's gonna to lead. He's going to rule and reign over all of this, okay? With authority and power. And so in your lives, you need to have authority and power. Now, so he says respect authorities and power. It will go well for you, he says in the book of Hebrews, that if you give honor to your leaders and give them respect. But what kind of leader? I, I put up on this slide two different kinds of leaders. There's the boss, and there's the one who's in with the group leading the pack. There's a difference, isn't there? And there are people who are in leadership that are really unjust in their power and abusive in their authorities. Maybe some of you have run into them. Maybe you work for someone like that. I don't know. But I like what Paul says here in the way he says it. Respect those who labor where? Among you. Among you. They're there with you. A leader's there with the people. He's not untouchable. He's not, I won't lower myself to do that. Will some of you pick this up for me? I just can't bend over right now. You know, I mean, there's, that is not. He labors among you. We work together. We respect each other's anointings. A good leader is one who first knows how to serve. Servant leadership is essential. What did Jesus do? He said, I came not to be served, but I came to serve. Jesus was among us cared for us. He washes our feet. Come on. This is the king of glory. And so he says, those who are worthy of respect are those who labor among you. They're over you in authority and they admonish you. They correct you. They lead you. They encourage you. And we're to esteem them. Now listen to this. Not just highly, but very highly. Now you might think I'm preaching this so that I get something back from you. (laughs) I'm just reading scripture. But what it says is we're to esteem them very highly in what? Love. Love. Esteem them in love. Not, you know, almighty, oh potentate, ruler of all, right? But just let's esteem each other in love. Let's honor each other in love. And he goes on and he says, why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because of their work. Because of their work. Again, they're working among you. Their work is seen and visible. Therefore, you respect what they're pouring into you. You respect what they're giving to you. Therefore, you will honor them with your love because of their labors. Is that reasonable? Can you honor someone in authority that does that? Certainly we can. Certainly we can. And that's what we're all to do. Everyone. Everyone should be under an authority and learn how to honor that authority. Amen? Amen. So, it's getting louder. Does anybody need to take care of that? Let's find it. Anybody know what it is? Anybody want to check it out? I'll wait for y'all. Anybody got a phone going off? There it is. Yay. 
<laughs> it's time for church. That's good. No, it's a punctiliar moment. It helped us emphasize this. Now let's go on. So what he's talking about, he starts at the top. He says, you're going to walk the talk. Let's start with learning how to be obedient unto leadership. Let's walk the talk. Let's listen to those who are in authority. Let's obey. Now who's the ultimate authority in our lives? Jesus, Jesus right? Can we honor him for the work he's done among us? Obviously, yes, most, most certainly. Now, uh, I might be pastor of this church, but there are authorities over me that I need to honor. I, I love, I personally love to honor people in authority and power. It is my joy to serve them any way I can. I, I, I love strong leadership, so I want to carry your suitcase. I want to do what you need. You need a cup of water. I'll go get it for you. I love to serve leaders. And with that, there's blessing that comes with it. And so I'd encourage you for that. So that's what Paul's doing, talking in a very practical application. Let's start with leaders, honor them for the work they're doing among them, and love them in a very high level of love. Now he says, let's deal with others. Oh, I have a quote here that I thought was beautiful by John Quincy Adams. If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you're a leader. I liked that. I liked that. So many of you are leaders here. You're leaders of your homes, obviously. Leaders of your children. Some of you might be leaders in your family. Uh, it may not even matter the birth order, but you're the leader because you inspire the family. You encourage the family. You, you might be a leader at work. Maybe you don't get the higher pay grade, but in your area, you inspire people to learn more, do more, become more, because Christians rise to the top. That's what Christians should do. They rise to the top because their work ethic is based on serving Jesus in all that they do. Now, if we honor Christ above the boss and above everybody else, Christians rise to the top in the workplace, in anywhere we go, in school. You may not have the best grades, but yet your citizenship and your teachers appreciate you because of the quality of your character, because you reflect Jesus. That's leadership. The church is a leader in this world. We're salt and we're light. And so we should be inspiring this world to do greater things, know greater things, and serve God in a greater way. So let's ignite some lives. Now he goes on, he says, now how are we going to treat others? And so Paul, in a very practical application, says, if you're going to walk the talk, how are we going to serve others? He says this, be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers. Okay, so first of all, let's have peace. Remember what I told you what peace meant? Peace, shalom is what? Order. So doesn't it make sense that he said, first of all, obey and follow those in leadership and in authority esteem them in their place of position and you're going to have order so therefore then let's have peace among us let's have order as we gather together let's have an ordered church a peaceful church a church that will bring forth order in our lives not disorder not confusion not bickering and gossiping and slandering let's have some peace here right amen amen now what does he say to do? And he gives a list. He rattles them off. He says, first of all, let's admonish the idle. I looked up the Greek word for those who are, that word for idle. It means that they're not doing anything. All right? 
They're idle. The better word for it is they're just irresponsible. You ask them to do something, then they don't. They're irresponsible with the position in life they have. They're irresponsible with work. They're irresponsible with their possessions. They're irresponsible with their finances. They're irresponsible with their tongue. They're irresponsible with their mouth. What are we to do with folks like that? Admonish them. Instruct them. Teach them. Come on. Let's do better than this. Let's help you. All right? Now, how many of you know that many times parents would teach children how to be productive and polite? Right? But many kids today, I won't even say kids, many people today never got that instruction. They didn't get the memo because the home was so dysfunctional. We have many, many socially dysfunctional people, and they don't know how to function. They get saved, they come into the church, and they don't know what to do. They don't understand why things are a mess in their lives, and they don't know what to do with it. We're to admonish them, we're to educate them, we're to encourage them, we're to instruct them, we're to teach them how to become responsible people. Christians should be the most responsible people because first of all we learn how to obey authority submit we learn how to bring peace or get order into our life and if we don't know how to do it we've got brothers and sisters who will help us won't we that's what Paul's saying let's do this together admonish those who are irresponsible let's get them going secondly then he says encourage encourage the faint-hearted or those who are discouraged we have folks that come into this assembly they've lost loved ones they're they're heartbroken they're they're disillusioned by life by their the situation and they're struggling they're disheartened they don't have hope they want to give up you ever met anybody like that maybe it was you right we've all been there we're disheartened so we need encouragement So we need admonishment, we're being instructed by the Word of God, we're being taught, right? Admonish gives a a bit of a strength to it, it's like, come on, let's straighten up, right? Straighten up and fly right. And then the other is, let's encourage each other. You're heartbroken, you're going to get over this. Let's give them hope, let's give them strength. This is, I'm sorry, I forgot, I forgot. Who was this written to? Oh, everyone. Thank you. Okay, so this is what we're all supposed to be doing, right? Admonishing and encouraging one another. That's your job. Now we hired a pastor to do all that. Here's 10 bucks. Go do that. Go encourage someone. You didn't hire me to do that. I'm here to instruct and shepherd so that I teach you how to do that. We're all supposed to be doing that. He goes on, he says, help support the weak we need support when we're weak we're feeble we can't stand up straight we need crutches oh yeah religion is a crutch for weak people (laughs) it's the truth for people who are bound in lies sets them free but i i'll be the first to admit i'm weak and i'm crippled and the greatest crutch i ever had was the cross of jesus christ thank god for that right so I don't have a problem saying I'm, I, I, I need a crutch. I need Jesus. Where else could I go? I'm ready to bust back out in song that we just sang. I need you, Jesus. Where else can I go? Right? There's no other name. All right. Then he goes on and he says this. Be patient with them all. Paul's real. 
right? Paul knows what it's like working with each other, working with people. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. So we're supposed to admonish one another, encourage one another, support one another, and oh, by the way, be pretty patient about it. (laughs) Be gentle, be patient, be kind. This is a work in progress. How many people do you know are a work in progress? How many of you are a work in progress? How many of you have arrived? Ooh, the hands went... I'm not claiming that. All right, good. Then he goes on, he says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. What did Jesus say we're to do if someone strikes us? Turn the other cheek. We don't return evil. We don't, if they scream at us, that they holler at us, they give us hand signals from their car, what do you repay them with? Bless you. Bless you. Give them the sign of the cross. Bless you. We bless. We do not return evil for evil. This is a YWAM. YWAM developed, a youth with a mission, developed a a teaching called Ministering in the Opposite Spirit. Lauren Cunningham would teach his his, uh, disciples and those missionaries to go out, and he would always say, minister in the opposite spirit. Okay, Obviously, it's biblical. A soft answer turns away wrath right and so if someone's screaming at you you don't scream back at them now this is important to know because we've got a situation where there are a lot of things changing in our government changing in our laws people holding signs screaming at us whether it's abortion or whether it's uh, gay rights or this or that screaming who could scream the loudest and what christians don't need to be doing is screaming back we don't need to be yelling back to see who could be louder because that's ministering in the same spirit. The devil loves that. Get into your flesh. See who can be as loud as you can. There's, there's a greater wisdom that needs to be displayed and a greater spirit that needs to be displayed. We can disagree with someone and do it with great wisdom, great intellect, great heart, and great fervor, but we don't minister in the same spirit. Okay? If violence comes to us, we don't use violence back. Jesus told Peter, those who live by the sword will what? Die by the sword. And so what he's saying, I turn the other cheek by not fighting with the same violence, what he's saying is don't return what was given to you by the same spirit. Now that's hard to do. I've been in situations where I've ministered uh, deliverance ministry. And, and, the, and, and you're trying to pray and the enemy is doing things and the, and the demons are speaking back to you and they're doing all these things and you get all worked up and you want to scream right back. And then what you realize is you've been trapped. You're trying to minister with the same sense that that thing is yelling back at you. And then it's like, back off. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not playing this game. So don't minister back to the same spirit. You minister in the opposite spirit. So if someone is in fear, what's the opposite of fear? Faith and love. Love casts out all fear. It's the the opposite spirit. So we minister faith where there's fear. They're trying to create fear among us. Trying to get you scared. And so you react in fear. You react in faith. Do you see the difference? You trust God instead of being afraid of the situation. So don't return evil for evil. He goes on, he says, but always seek 
to do good to one another and to everyone. To everyone. Now, if you're not a Christian, I don't have to be good to you. No. It's to everyone. All right? So we have to be good. Wow, that's a lot. Are you kidding me? There are some people I just don't like. Well, I know you don't like them, but you have to be good to them. Good. Good. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Good. Be good to them. The word good, that's an attribute of whom? Jesus. Who always did good. There, are no, there is none good but the Father. But the Father put good in you. When did Father put good in you? The Holy Spirit. It's an attribute of His own nature. And so we have to bring that nature to a few people every day. Is that correct? How about everyone every day? I'm not up to it. I feel crummy today. It doesn't matter how you feel. You're supposed to do good to everybody because it's coming out of God's Spirit in you. Do good to everybody. Don't return in the same spirit that's been given to you. Now that takes effort. How many of you notice that it takes effort to minister in the world, right? This takes effort, but it's the effort of God's Spirit. If we would be cognizant of God's Spirit and continually in prayer and communion with God's Spirit, it is easy. Jesus said, my burden is light. My yoke is what? Easy. He said, you are yoked to me. So he's carrying the weight and he wants to pour out through you goodness to all people. To all people. They smack you, you're good to them. Turn the other cheek. They make you do something for a mile, Jesus says go too. You'll blow them away by goodness. This is essential. He's teaching. So we, we, what I first did in this study is I began to study the people. You know, those who uh, were supposed to help, those who are irresponsible and discouraged and weak, be patient with them and not return evil. But then it, I turned it around and realized, wait a minute, this is a command for us to be admonishing, encouraging, supportive, patient, and good. Wow. That's going to take a lot of character building, isn't it? So what Paul says to leaders, learn how to follow their instruction, their leadership, honor them. And what you do among others is that you're to admonish, encourage, support, be patient to everyone, and be good to everybody. Be good. Ah, we fail at that, but God's Spirit will restore us. He then goes on and he says this now, concerning yourself. So we started with leadership in your life. Are you honoring leadership? I'm going to go back to that because I think we need to do this. We're in a society where we like to tear down leadership, right? Americans love to be Rugged individuals. We're all John Waynes. We don't have to listen to Buddy. You're not the boss of me. Right? That's your eight-year-old telling you that. It's like, oh, yes, I am. (laughs) You're not the boss of me. I can do what I want. And we dog and we talk down those in authority over us. And, And can I tell you, that gets into your soul. It gets into your spirit. We even treat those in leadership over us that way. We, we, we criticize. We're very critical. And uh, we, we go against these things. Can I encourage you 
to begin, it don't, you know, it doesn't have to be for me, it can be anybody in your life, but would you please begin to understand authority and work under it, with it, because it empowers you. And so he started with leadership, and then he said, now this is how you treat others. This is what I need you to do. I need you to speak into their lives, admonish those who are not living up to what they should be doing, encourage those who are brokenhearted, do good to everybody, don't return evil. And he said, support the weak ones. What does that turn you into if in a crowd you're the one admonishing, encouraging, supporting, you're patient, you're good to everyone? What happens when you do that? You become the leader. Isn't that interesting? That's how you grow leaders. You serve in this manner. And all of a sudden, you become the leader. And all of a sudden, respect comes to you because people see you doing this amongst them. That's why Christians rise. Not just in the resurrection. (laughs) But we rise in leadership. Every one of you is a leader. And every one of you at work and job and home and every one of you has risen to a place of leadership, haven't you? Consider this. I'm, I'm serious. Haven't you? Do you feel the weight of leadership upon you? How many of you feel the sense of leadership because of how you're living? Accept it. Own it. Live it. Work it. Develop it, right? And that's what he says. Now, he says for you, for yourself, this is what you need to do. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. How many of you at one time said, I wonder what the will of God is for my life? Here's the answer. Write it down. Oh, you mean I don't have to save the continent of Asia? I don't have to be an evangelist and get a TV program? What is the will of God for me? Should I become a pastor and run a church? Here's the will of God. He'll take care of the other stuff and everything else. You do this. This is the will of God for your life. Number one, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, right? And in all things, give thanks. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, that's what you need to do for yourself. Now, how do we do this? And and especially when we're not feeling like it. We're a feeling culture. We're an emotional culture. Okay? What's happened with our American society is all of you have been weaned on emotions. Emotions have taken over reason and intellect. Right now, I can tell you what's going to happen. Right now, unless God intervenes, right now in the courts in Detroit, they are going to be discussing reversing the marriage amendment that was voted on and passed by two-thirds of Michigan voters that marriage is defined as one man to one woman. We've passed it. It's been legislated. It's been on the ballot over two-thirds. Now a judge is considering of overturning that. Right? Have you seen this? Okay. So you watch the news and you read the newspaper and what are they appealing to in this case? Emotions. Because gee whiz, these are two nice ladies. I'm sure they are very nice ladies. Very loving. Most definitely. They work nice jobs. They've got beautiful kids. These poor kids need a mom and a mom. And they're nice people. All right. so why, who in the world would deny these nice people their love? 
And what does that play to? The rationale of the health of a society? The rationale of what redefining marriage will do to the entire society? No, that's not part of the discussion. What's part of the discussion is, don't you feel bad for these kids? And don't you care for these ladies? And that is what has captivated the majority of our society. Because we think with our emotions, right? And we reason by what we listen to. And that's what's happened. We've forgotten how to think. We don't have wisdom. I'm not saying you. That wouldn't have happened to you, though we grew up in this culture. But I would check how often are you determining things by your emotions and your feelings. Okay? So this is important. We've got to watch this. We have got to use reason and we've got to do this. Now, we may not feel like rejoicing. We may not feel like praying. And we may not feel like giving thanks. None of that matters. It doesn't matter how you feel. Oh, but I've got to have Jesus know how I feel. Could I encourage you that you feel enough? You have so much emotion running rampant. All of us do. Let's get back to wisdom and, more importantly, truth. What is true? If we would begin to commit our lives to truth instead of how we feel about something. Do you know how easy it is to get off the truth because of how you feel? Why should we rejoice always? Because God saved us, sent His Son, died for us who are sinners, who we were blind and dead to Him. He came to you and woke you up by the love and grace that He's brought to you and has cared for you. And Jesus literally has been praying for you day and night. Should we rejoice in Him? Absolutely. And for all eternity, we should rejoice. Whether we feel like it or not, He deserves praise. Right? You don't need to praise Him in the third song because you didn't like the first two. You didn't get the well primed, the pump primed enough yet. Yeah, I'm not feeling it yet. Had a rough day. You're awesome, Jesus. You go for the one-handed effort. You're cool, Jesus. Thank you, God. Oh, my back's killing me. Oh, I like this song. You're good, Jesus. Thank you, God. Now I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. Am I exaggerating? Now, come on, we really got to evaluate ourselves. We have been so steeped and immersed in emotionalism. We have been so oversaturated by our emotions that we have forgotten what is true. What is true should always be worshipped. Pray without ceasing. Now how do you do that? i got to work. That simply means being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Being in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Every thought is just moving through you and the Lord and the Holy Spirit. That is not that hard to do if you continue to just consider the Lord. And, and you're just considering His presence and considering His thoughts. And last of all, and this is huge, because Paul said that when they stopped giving thanks, their hearts became darkened. Romans chapter 1. You must be thankful and grateful at all times. The minute you begin to become ungrateful, 
even in the midst of whatever's happened to you. First of all, you got breath in your lungs, and you have your eyes open to the truth that Jesus is Lord. That's enough to be thankful for, even though you may be on your deathbed, you may be riddled with some kind of sickness or disease, but you can still give thanks to God because despite how you feel and the horrible pain that you're in, the truth is, I'm grateful that God is giving me eternal life. I may have 70 years or 80 years of misery, but I'll have eternal life of bliss in God. Is that, is that too much? Is that too much to consider? Is that too offensive? You're not being compassionate enough, Pastor. I'm speaking truth that this is what he wants us to do. Rejoice always. And again I say, rejoice. Be thankful in all things. Be thankful. Do you know what thankfulness does? It shifts your reality. It shifts the weight of your problems. Because I'll give thanks to God no matter what has happened. I'll give thanks to God. I've had things in my life that have been extremely painful and I've suffered a lot. But I'd give thanks and not change a thing because my God is awesome and wonderful. Give thanks. And I pray. I'm in contact with Him and fellowship and communion with Him all day long. I go to sleep. I dream about Him all night long. I wake up in the morning. He's there. I consider Him at all times. How many of you do that? How many of you do that? How many of you have a sense of thankfulness? It's just this, it's the, how many of you know on a furnace or on a stove, there's a a pilot light, right? That's your pilot light, thankfulness. It's a pilot. It keeps things alive, right? And that's your prayer life. It's a pilot light you've got burning at all times. Now, here's the really big question. How in the world am I supposed to do this? Well, let's take a look. Here's how you do it. Here's how you are always rejoicing. Here's how you pray without ceasing. And here's how you give thanks in all circumstances. He says, number one, don't quench the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. What does it mean to quench something? Put it out. Drown it, right? You pour water on a fire and what will happen? It will quench it. So when the Holy Spirit's churning, when God is moving, don't quench it. Can we do that? Can we interrupt the Holy Spirit? Can we stop the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I want you to know something. The Holy Spirit, like I said, that pilot light is burning in you always. Always. And when you lend your will and your heart to Him, then the fire goes on. In our family room, in our house, it's a back room that we had an addition on. We have a wall heater. And there's a pilot light on all the time. And when we want to ignite the thing so it warms up the room, we turn the dial, the gas comes out, and that pilot goes, you can hear it go, and you know heat's coming, right? That's us. Don't quench the Spirit. When God turns the knob, man, go for it. Let God speak to you. Rejoice. Here's the thing. Your pilot will ignite your will more often if you're in a place of thankfulness and and rejoicing. Does that make sense? Don't quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. All right? The prophetic is the very presence of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Jesus is in the now. He's in the presence. He's right here with us. And so if the Spirit is moving and the Spirit wants to go forth, He wants to bring the presence of Jesus. Don't despise that. 
Churches should not despise prophecies nor quench the Spirit. When we do, we're not going to be able to admonish those who are wrong and uh, care for those who are weak. And you can go right back through the list. And we're not going to have a peaceful community and we're not going to respect those among us. So don't quench the Spirit. He's instructing this church. Be Pentecostal. Be full of the Holy Ghost. Let there be prophecies. Let Jesus speak to His bride. Let the Holy Spirit move. Don't quench Him. Don't stop Him. Right? Move forward. But He gives a balance to it. This is what I like. Test everything. What do we test prophecies with? Word of God. Okay? So we test all things. We test prophecies. We test motivations. We test and consider why things are being done. Not in a critical way, but to line them up with Scripture. And then if they line up with Scripture, what should you do with it? Back it up 100%. Yeah, hold fast to what is good. So let the move of the Spirit come. Let prophecies be spoken. Check them out. Do they read to the Bible? And if they do, hold fast to them and do the work. Abstain from every form of evil. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Evil comes in all sorts of forms, doesn't it? All kinds of different forms. And forms that are tailor-made just for your eyes just for you right because there's familiar spirits who have watched you all your life these familiar spirits keep an eye on you they watch to see what you fall at what you are weakest in so that then they will create a form of temptation to you but this verse says abstain from every form of evil any kind of dimension now It'll have different forms for everybody because we all have different weaknesses, right? And so we've got to watch for that. But you're supposed to abstain from every form of evil. Now, if we have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us and we're not quenching Him, but we're paying attention to Him, how are we paying attention to Him? We're always rejoicing, we're continually praying, and we're continually thankful. So therefore, we're not going to quench the Holy Spirit as He speaks to us. He's then prophetically going to tell us, go to the right or go to the left, don't go forward. Or when something is tempting us, a form of evil, He's saying, get up and get out of here. Stop looking at that. Get your hands off of that. Turn around and move. Go. That's the Holy Spirit telling us. So you test it. Hold fast to it. Is this good for me or not? Test it. It's not good for me. Run away from it. Cling to what's good and abstain what's evil. Isn't it funny? But this is the whole position of what makes us righteous or unrighteous. This very instruction. That's why he finally goes to this. May the Lord... The God of peace Himself, the God of order, the God of peace, sanctify you completely. I like the NIV rendition. It says, through and through. He wants to sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely, what? do it what's he going to do 
sanctify you completely. What he means by completely is not just your spirit, man. That's sanctified immediately when you got saved. But he's going to sanctify your soul, your intellect, your emotions, and your reason. He's also going to sanctify your body. Because your body at one time, you used to use for unrighteous things. Paul says, now use your hands as instruments of righteousness. Use your body as an instrument for good things for God. You used to steal with your hands. Now I want you to give finance and money to people. Right? You used to take and take. He said, now give and give. Turn this thing into a weapon of righteousness. So the Lord is going to sanctify you through and through, and He will do it. You can count on it. So rejoice in that fact. Always pray and always be thankful because God's doing something to you right now. I want to tell you, folks, some of the things you're going through that are very negative, that maybe the enemy has used, and, but God's used everything. God will use everything. Now, even if the enemy did something horrible to you, God is going to use it for good. So give me that thing, devil. Get that out of your hands. Watch what I can do with this with my people. And he takes it and shapes character in us and reforms us. He said he's going to sanctify us completely. Perfectly, completely. Now, what I think of is uh, I went to art school for many years. I have my degrees in fine arts. And I remember kneading clay. All right, so we would get clay, we'd use terracotta, and, and, and we'd get terracotta, you get it real wet, and, and we would put it on plaster, and we needed to knead the air out of it because we were going to fire it. And so you'd knead it, and you'd get the water out of it, and you'd turn it, and you'd squeeze it, and turn it, and flip it over, and squeeze it. And what was I doing? I was sanctifying it through and through. <laughs> I was squeezing everything out of it that shouldn't be in it. That's what he's doing. He said, I'm going to sanctify you. There are things in your body that you do with it that are unholy. It's not set apart for me. Sanctified means to be set apart for the Lord's use. There are things in your intellect that you are reasoning and thinking on that are not of me, and I'm going to sanctify and separate that stuff out from you. There are issues in your life that you are considering and doing that I didn't ask you to do. And I'm going to sanctify you through and through. And what does Paul say is going to happen? And he will do it. He surely will do it. How many of you gave your lives to Jesus? You're sure? You've asked Jesus to be your Lord. You gave your life to Jesus. Okay, okay. You're going to be a mess. Because he is going to take his elbows and pile drive Bam! Right into some areas that you need deliverance from. And you'll be thankful for it. But like, <laughs> like a father, discipline has to come. So what he's going to do is sanctify. Sometimes it's easy because you're very cooperative. That's why it's better for us to always be rejoicing him, always stay in prayer, and always be giving thanks because when he's sanctifying and working in us, he can work that stuff out real easy. But when we're rebellious, when we're destructive, when we're opposing him, it, it's hard. Can I tell you the most miserable people on earth are saved people who are living in sin. They're the most miserable because they're living a contradiction. The contradiction is this. You are saved and sanctified, filled with the spirit of holiness, 
And you're living in a life of contradiction from that. Now, what did it say that he will surely do? Sanctify you completely. So you're going to be absolutely miserable. Anybody been there? I've, I've had my wanderings, and it's true. It's a, it's a place of schizophrenia. Because you have an identity of one thing, and you're, you're living a different reality, speaking a different reality. And so you need to walk the talk. He said, may the Lord sanctify you completely. Body, soul, and spirit. And he will surely do it. Now, as we're being sanctified, we're going to be worshiping and rejoicing him at all times, staying in fellowship, praying at all times. And last of all, we are going to be thankful for all things because what he's doing is refining me for his glory. He's shaping me. And in this shaping, I'm going to be able to admonish those who are, who are doing things wrong. I'm going to encourage those who are brokenhearted. I'm going to help those who are weak. And I'm going to do good to all people because I'm being shaped into the image of whom? Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says to the church. Brothers and sisters, pray for us, he said. Greet all people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so he says, walk the talk. That's how you do it. So may I encourage you to love leaders. Be a leader among the people around you by admonishing and caring and doing good to all people. And for yourself, rejoice always. Pray unceasingly and give thanks in all things because what He's doing with you is sanctifying you through and through. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, do this work, O God. Sanctify us. Work in us.